Let's welcome Jacqueline de Kaiser. Please give her a warm welcome. Thank you. Hi, Jacqueline. Oh. Look, great to have you with us. How did you survive the heat yesterday? Um, I stayed outside until about nine o'clock and then I scurried inside and spent the rest of the day there. Yeah, not very well. <laughs> yeah. And is, is the inside of your place, is it climate controlled? It kind of is. I live in a log cabin and so there is some insulation factors there, but come about two o'clock, it's awful. Yeah. yeah, okay. Oh, that's, that's doing it the hard way, I think. Yeah. And you're doing it in a hard place, aren't you? So uh, most of us enjoy the, the uh, tempering influence of being on the coast, but you don't quite have that luxury. No, I live in Richmond, and every summer I think, why do I live here? And why aren't I staying up at my sister's place in Terrigal? But, um, yeah, every spring and autumn I get over that, and then we hit summer again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So next time you see the terrible temperature out, temperatures out west, we can think of Jacqueline and, yeah. and feel glad that we're not where she is. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, now, um, uh, now, how do, now, you're going to be speaking to us about, about books, about particularly reading books. Yeah. Um, uh, and so I understand that you're quite a bookworm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have it on good information that growing up, you used to even go to the extent of feigning illness to get out of <laughs> household chores, domestic tasks, yeah. so you can lie in bed and read books. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Yeah, I think my mum even discovered me once in the fireplace. It wasn't winter, it was summer, but it had a screen in front of it. And so I think I was very young and my mum discovered me there reading when I was about four or five. But yes, Elizabeth knew some further secrets and I didn't really study much in HSC year. I read a lot of books. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. My wife adopts that procrastination technique yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, given a choice, now there's a few movies out at the moment that are based on books. There's The Hobbit, there's Les Miserables. Um, given the choice, would you read the book or see the movie? Come on, you know the answer. That's good. Always read the book first, then enjoy the movie. But you get so much more out of a book. It's true. Yeah. I mean, off the top of your head, can you think of a movie that you think has done a reasonable job of doing justice to the book? Oh, I have to say The Lord of the Rings has really done that and The Hobbit has done that again. It's been very exciting seeing um, how they've really got inside that world. Yeah, Yeah, it's good. Now, you don't only like reading books. Uh, what other sorts of things do you like to do? I love to garden. Um, I love to cook. I've actually just come back from cooking for 50 people for 10 days. That tested my love of cooking, but, um, but it's still there. And, yeah, they're two things that are really high up on our list. And I love having people over for dinner. It's good. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for being with us this morning. We're really looking forward to hearing what you have to say to us. Thank you, Tim. Now I'm going to look really techno-savvy and open up my iPad and hope it all works. So. I am excited to be here today. Um, I think you might have already seen that um, books is something that I love and have seen the enormous benefits of over a lifetime. And I think normally I'd be a little bit nervous talking in front of you, but... 
I actually sat for two hours next to my daughter on her L plates on the way here. I've used up all my nervous energy. It's all gone. <laughs> so this morning we're going to look at the role of books in the lives of children. Do we still think that it's wonderful for children to read stories and to disappear within the worlds that books hold? And what value, if any, does reading aloud to children hold? And you can guess that I do think it's wonderful and I do think it's valuable and hopefully I'll be able to explain why to you. Now, I don't have a PhD in child development or in literature or education. I did a social work degree when I left school and I worked for nine months um, in an agency, a multidisciplinary agency that cared for families with developmentally delayed children. Um, my husband and I fell pregnant fairly early on in our marriage and we'd always wanted to have a, a sizeable family so we got stuck into it and we had five children in the next eight years. <laughs> yeah, it's funny now. <laughs> and during this time we became so aware of the privilege it was to love and nurture and grow these five people that had been entrusted to us. And I speak today from the experience of home educating them for 16 years and from the knowledge and experience that being a reading tutor um, for children with reading difficulties has given me. We started reading to our children as soon as we could. Beautiful picture books from the library. How delightful they are, how profound they can be. Who's read here Wilfred Gordon MacDonald Partridge? Yes, and Hello Baby, and books that you can still remember years and years on. And who here knows the special closeness that cuddling up on a couch brings? Delighting in the rhythm of the words, the questions asked, the whimsical and intricate illustrations. Children's books can be living works of art. Meanwhile, my oldest child was, you know, getting older and I had been reading, reading, reading about the benefits of reading aloud to children. One of the books that influenced me greatly was this book, Honey for a Child's Heart, and you can find it over there at the bookstore. It was a huger influence than I'd ever known. So I thought I'd give chapter books a go with my six, five and four-year-old. I didn't really expect to succeed. I started big and I got out a children's pilgrim's progress and we sat on the couch and I thought, here goes, we'll see what happens. And I read the first chapter and they asked for another one. I read the next chapter, they asked for another one. I read the next chapter, I asked if I could have a nap, please. <laughs> that started an incredible journey for us. We were hooked. Sometimes Martin, who works from home, overheard snippets and reluctantly moved on to work again. And we talked so much, the kids and I, about the characters and the plots, that Martin started to feel as if he was really missing out. And that led to us reading aloud as a family, a few times a week, after dinner, over the next 10 years. Martin became the reader, growing in his ability to give intonation and expression to the story, to, to add value to it. And, and do justice to the story and I'd be quilting, I learnt quilting and my kids would be sitting quietly and listening or they'd be playing with Lego 
or colouring, or as they grew older, they'd be painting Warhammer, things like that. At times, Martin would pass me the book because he was just too overwhelmed with emotion at times and I'd take over for a little while until I had to pass it back. And they're really great memories for all of us. So that's all cosy and nice, but what were the real benefits of continuing to read aloud during those years? I think we found two broad categories, educational and relational benefits. As parents, we were interested in developing a whole child, a whole person, People that love to learn, are open to ideas, are alive intellectually and emotionally. People with big, rich worlds and hopefully even bigger, richer hearts. And reading aloud enhanced our attempts to, to encourage this in our children. Let's look at some educational benefits first. I'm going to start, that the, start with the idea that the ability to read is a foundation of learning as a whole. Understanding the nuts and bolts of how words are put together is really important. I know that. I've been a reading tutor for many, many years. I know all about phonics and about grammar. But a desire to read is more than just nuts and bolts. It's the spark that allows the flame to burn. You're providing the match when you read aloud to your child. You're teaching them that reading is pleasurable and important. And you're creating the desire to read. And that's the baseline. We're all the same. We tend to do things that we enjoy and we somehow avoid very well the things that we don't. And when we read aloud to our children, we're painting the pleasure large and bold of what reading is. We're actually inviting them in to a world that they're not even hardly aware of, but they're being led in like crumbs on a trail. They're growing a desire to read themselves. My own experience with our children and my tutoring experience and all sorts of research on this topic shows that families who read to young children make the process of learning to read much easier for them. You see, it's all about modelling, leading the way. It's really just common sense. If you want your child to eat veggies, you can't avoid them. You've got to eat them yourself. And if you want your child to learn how to recycle garbage, you've got to live in that in front of them. You've got to do the separating and, and show them the way. If you want your child to read, you've got to read. And you've got to do it authentically. You want to be seen reading the paper, reading magazines about your hobbies, reading research, finding out stuff that you don't know yet, and reading, reading, reading to your children. Mem Fox, the Australian author, takes every opportunity to hammer this idea. If a child sees that parents regard reading as pleasurable and important, they often can't help but take that on too. Can you see your small child sitting down with a book you know they can't read yet, but they're there, looking smart and important and turning pages? They're really just copying you. So we've talked about lighting a fire and modelling and how important they are for foundational reading skills, but we can go further. At home, we get to create learners for a lifetime, and that's what reading aloud to our children does. It inspires them on all kinds of levels. Having a thirst for learning happens almost naturally by reading good books together. 
We read a book together called Carry On, Mr Bowditch um, by Jean Lee Latham. It was about a guy who was on a tall ship. Well, my kids, just all off their own bat, wanted to find out about tall ships, scurvy, um, the tools and skills needed for navigation. Or like we um, have read Eagle of the Ninth, I don't know if any of you know that book, it has been made into a movie. It's by Rosemary Sutcliffe. And it's about a guy that gets taken as a slave from Rome into um, Britain at the time. Well, my kids wanted to find out all off their own bat, what was Roman occupation like? Where is Hadrian's War? Um, all things that they took on for themselves. Martin and I got to travel extensively through Europe last year and I often wished, no, that's not true, I very occasionally wished that my children were with me because I know that they've remembered so much from reading, even more than, than I have, and, um, and I thought, well, I could suck out some knowledge about how the origin of the city of Paris came to be or how the marbles from Greece got over to England, all things that I knew that they'd remember. Being read aloud to also develops this habit of attending, of being able to concentrate and focus for an extended length of time, of being still and quiet, of taking notice of things, of listening, attending. It's such a vital learning skill. I have a friend who teaches in a lower socioeconomic area of Western Sydney, um, she's been a teacher for 25 years in private schools and this year she went to this school. Well, they have children that hang out of second-storey windows out and they have lockdowns all the time. The police are called every day. They have, teacher, they have parents coming in to threaten teachers and Pauline really despaired. She thought, I haven't learnt anything in all of these 25 years. And all learning is affected. Literacy is incredibly low in that school. She says that some of the kids find it difficult to articulate a sentence, let alone read and write. Pauline found herself organising food and pets and a zillion other activities and she was exhausted and tired. But then she remembered something and a major change occurred for her. She did something that she had done in her previous experience and she thought she'd give it a go and she met with some initial resistance. She got out a chapter book and she became aware of, the, of silence for the very first time in her classroom. It just awed her that it still worked in that situation. This is partly because a book read aloud, especially when you're not proficient at reading, takes you to another place and time and you form a habit of attending without even being aware of it. Focus is being taught. Reading aloud also builds our children's imaginations. This is so connected to learning. Imagination is what inspires innovation. It's what we take to maths and to science and music and the arts. And reading aloud helps our children, it frees them up to imagine because they're not sitting there grappling with the text. They're just letting their imagination go wild. A story well written creates pictures in our minds. Now, I know I've said I enjoyed The Hobbit, I did. But who here hasn't initially been disappointed by the portrayal of a character in a, in a movie made from a book they've read? 
And that's because our imagination has created a totally different picture. When we watch a movie, and especially when children watch a movie, but it's true for us too, everything is done for us. It's all completely passive. And short attention spans are expected. Pictures are provided, there's music to stir our emotions, little reminders are given as to what's happened before, especially in a TV series. I find them helpful. <laughs> and um, we don't really have to picture anything. But when we read a book, it requires so much more from us. It requires to us to, uh, to attend, to follow events, to recall what's happened earlier, to picture people and places. And it invites us to explore a world beyond our own experience. So reading aloud uses our child's imagination to take them to different places and times and give them, gives them experiences they could never normally have. We've touched on this, but don't you feel just a little sorry for a child who's never met a dragon or walked on a medieval street or fought in a Roman army? And all the incidental learning that happens, wow! A story teaches us what it was like to be a serf, how castles and cathedrals were made, what people ate, how they dressed, how they travelled. And this incidental learning makes our child so comfortable with learning as a whole. This is so essential because a little familiarity is a great place to add more knowledge. And comfort and interest is the best learning environment. A 19th century educationalist, Charlotte Mason, really knew about this and she talked about how feeling comfortable with an idea or a period of history enables a child to just add a little bit more every time. They're not scared when they come to something new. They know they've been in that position before and they can just add the next bit of new information to what they already have. Rob Ollison, an Australian educationalist, says that one of the factors of a rich learning environment is being relaxed when learning happens. We remember so much more when we're relaxed, so much less when we're stressed. We know this as adults. And being read aloud to is such a relaxed learning environment. And the background knowledge that becomes their own through the stories they hear helps them make sense of what they learn and read and see and hear and even what they feel. So if you've been attending, you'll know that we've looked at how being read to lights a fire and it models something important. It creates a habit of attending and builds our children's imagination. But it also exposes our children to great vocabulary and it teaches correct grammar usage and it increases our children's ability to communicate. Now, all research shows that in um, normal conversational language, the language that we use when we're talking together or when we watch TV or when we see a movie, um, we're given about a palette. We use a palette of about 10,000 words. When we read to our children, we are introducing them to a palette of 50,000 words. This is because good authors spend a lot of time being precise about emotions and colours, thoughts and descriptions. They want to paint pictures of characters and situations and ideas that take insight and careful phrasing. Book language is so much more descriptive and uses much more formal and grammatical structures. We learn when an and and are used and appropriate, the purpose of commas and descriptive words for subtle feelings, which we can then use ourselves. 
My friend Nita read a lot to her children. She had her four-year-old ask her one day, Oh, Mum, what, what's the name for that group of animals again? And Nita's looking at her going, Flock, herd, zoo. And to each time he's getting cranky and she's going, No, no. And after a little while, she relievedly says, Oh, that's right. It's the menagerie. <laughs> now, lastly, on an educational front, reading aloud introduces our children to a world of ideas. This is because good literature is involved in more than just itself. If you want to ask a question later on about what good literature is, you can. But I'm, yeah, I'm going to move on. There is a heritage of thought that gives it context. In bookie terms, we call this introducing our children to the great conversation. That means that writers have been influenced by writers that come before them. And they use bits and pieces of stories that they expect the reader to know that they've grabbed from before. You see, when we read our children The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, they're actually getting more than just what C.S. Lewis thought. They're actually getting what he was influenced by from G.K. Chesterton and George MacDonald, people that he read and really enjoyed. So then a wealth of ideas is passed on about characters and situations, and they're all tied up in a common story, and they're all kind of expected for the reader to know about. <clears throat> it even becomes part of our um, culture here. I mean, do, we, do you guys know the band um, The Cat Empire? Yeah? They've got a lyric in their song called Tie Me to the Mast. And we're, expect we're helped because they also mention Odyssey and mythology. But um, they've made a reference to something that happened a thousand years ago in a piece of Homer's work where Odysseus gets tied to a mast so that he doesn't respond to the siren's call. That's what I'm talking about. They've just put something in their song that they expect people to know about. That's what introducing our children to the great conversation looks like. Let's look at some relational benefits of reading aloud. We found that reading aloud is such a beautiful, subtle way for our children to learn lots of things. So much learning is really possible through a good story without a child even knowing it. And one of the biggest areas of this is in character. A good story plants something in, their, in them that becomes part of their conscience. And our conscience is what we wrestle with when we have to make decisions, maybe even more when we have to make on-the-spot decisions. And as we read to our children, we introduce them to characters that wrestle with their conscience. And I found that our children have understood and aspired to great character traits through stories, wanting to be a faithful friend and, and even understanding the cost of that, like Sam Gamgee in, in Lord of the Rings or wanting to be as resourceful like our Manzo in the Little House on the Prairie books, or even to have integrity like Rolf in Rolf and the Viking Bow, or to admit weakness and awareness of self like Eustace in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And guess what? I can beg and badger for my kids to just develop some more patience or some more courage or an ability to forgive. But when I read them a good book, I find them desiring, so wanting to be like the protagonists that they've met. A lot of the work is then already done for me. 
And in the best of books, we have characters painted with their weaknesses as well. So that when I meet people with faults and weaknesses, I know that they're not, the people aren't necessarily, the person I meet is not necessarily defined by these. There's more to them. When we're younger, we really have this habit of defining people by the one or two character traits that we see. But reading aloud helps the maturing process. You see, that's what maturity is. And, and we see it in Gandalf. You know, when he talks to Frodo and Bilbo, he's, he says to them, yes, I know Gollum is despicable. I know he's untrustworthy. But there's more to him. There's a story behind him. In fact, he could be more again. When we start to develop our own ability to think in this way, it kind of adds to our inner stature and it adds to our children's inner stature. My husband Martin has said that perhaps this is why he took so long to grow up and mature. He just didn't have any good books read to him as a young child. Reading aloud also helps to develop family relationships. You see, we have this enormous privilege as parents of providing a gateway into a huge world for our children, of introducing them to these real and imagined places, different eras in history, different characters. And these characters and experiences become part of the landscape of our family, like family holidays or family friends. They become something that we keep referring back to. I know that um, that's happened for us, like where our car broke down on Epping Road once on the way to holidays. Our children always remember that spot. They say, this is where we broke down. Well, it happens through books too. Now and then one of our guys will say, doesn't he remind you of so-and-so in... Or doesn't this remind you of when? And it, it provides this common experience for us. There is something very special about giggling together over the muddle-headed wombat on the couch or crying together as Tolkien wraps up the last battle with that phrase, and their sword was like, uh, and their joy was like swords. Do you know that agony of something turning out well after much pain and sacrifice? That all you've hoped for has somehow come to be? That's wrapped up in that little phrase, their joy was like swords. Reading aloud is such a wonderful source of pleasant, exciting and valuable experiences. Who else do you want your children to have these with? Stay there. <laughs>